If you got a Bible, go Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 is going to be our text this morning. How is everybody this morning? You ready to get after it? Yeah, good. All seven of you are excited to go. Uh, before we get started, though, I do want to say uh, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, just very grateful here at Berean for uh, our moms and wives and just, uh, just the women of this church, the, the godly women uh, that God has placed here at Berean and grateful for uh, how you model Jesus and, and love and just demonstrate uh, God to us and uh, thankful for you. Uh, I am um, privileged this morning to have my mom and dad all the way from Tennessee uh, worshiping with us. I, I mentioned in the first service I wasn't going to embarrass them, but they are seated right over here, right? So uh, you can all come and yeah, give them a... They are clapping at what a fine product you put out, right? Isn't that, is that what? No, okay, maybe not so much. Um, but it is a special day for us, and uh, it's a fitting day because we started two weeks ago a series on family uh, called Family Ties, and so it's appropriate on Mother's Day, and even in the next few weeks, we're going to look at this issue of family, which is a very big deal in the Bible. In fact, show of hands, show of hands, how many of you are in a family? Raise your hand. Oh, some of you are not. That's odd. I don't know how that happened, but yeah. It, it, see, I say that because the tendency is when we talk about family for some of you to disconnect. You know, you're going to say things like, I'm not a parent, or my kids aren't in the home anymore, or whatever. And the truth is, everybody in this room is in a family. While the application of some of this will look different for you, it does apply to you in every way. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning and, and in the weeks ahead. So Deuteronomy 6, if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's read down through verse 9. This is God's Word to us this morning. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all His statutes and His commands, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it might go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is God's Word. Pray with me. Lord, thank You um, for the joy it is now to study Your Word, to look at it. it uh, it's truth. Even words written so long ago speak to our life today. And help us see that clearly by Your Spirit, how desperate we are to see this truth. And I, I pray what would happen this morning, not just in the room, but more importantly in our hearts, would be uh, God, just a, a refocus and a reclaiming of your design for family and for our role in it. 
And so do this, teach us, glorify Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Matt Emmons was an Olympic rifle competitor in the 2004 Olympic uh, competition. He got to about the second round, the end of the second round, and realizing that with one round to go, he was one shot away from a gold medal. And this is something that he had longed for for so long. I mean, all he ever wanted was to get the gold medal, and now he was one shot away, one round away from finally having it. In fact, all he had to do in the final round was score a 7.2. To give you a little bit of a context, every round up until that point, he had not scored lower than a 9.3. So this seemed like it would be a formality. It seemed like it was in the book. He was excited. Everybody was excited that the gold medal was going to be his. And so he tried to calm himself. He put his aim fired his shot, and bullseye. He nailed it. And man, he was so excited, and he thought, yes, the gold medal's mine. And then all of a sudden, he realized that the judges weren't responding. The crowd that he thought would be applauding and and, and excited with him, they were silent. In fact, they were shocked. And then he realized what everybody else in the room realized He hit the wrong target. In all of his focus and all of his aiming, he got so caught up in the emotion of the moment that he did what almost never happens in an Olympic competition. He did a crossfire, which means the whole time he was aiming at the wrong thing. And instead of a gold medal, he walked away with eighth place. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of frustration, maybe even on a smaller level, like you were cooking a meal and you realized you used the wrong ingredients, or maybe you were driving somewhere and you realized you'd plugged in the wrong address, or or maybe students in school, I know this happened to me, you get the test and you realize you studied the wrong chapter, and there's that sense of, that ever happened to you? There's that sense of frustration and and, and that, that... The thing that you were supposed to be focused on, you missed. The thing that you really wanted to get right, you didn't hit. You see, the truth is we can become so focused in our life, we can aim our lives at so many different things only to wake up one day, Berean, and realize we missed the point. And when it comes to the things that matter most, when it comes to the things of God, that's a miss we cannot afford to make. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do with Deuteronomy 6? It's exactly the point that Moses is trying to make. Because here's the context. The context is this. Israel has just come out of the whole crazy wilderness journey. They're going to enter into the promised land that God had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the text says. Moses knows that he's not going to be able to go with them into the promised land, and so he downloads here in a series of sermons known as the Shema, he downloads what's most important, the things that he does not want them to forget. To give you some type of image in your mind, it's like when you drop your child off to college, 
you know? And like you in 30 seconds tried to download everything you've ever taught them. Or, or maybe like a dad giving away his daughter at a wedding, you know, right before you walk down the aisle, you just try to express to her, you know, every, every bit of love or, or whatever that you could express to her. It's, it's the, how do we put in a nutshell what really matters? And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is. It's Moses saying, you're going to go into the promised land, and listen, you're going to be able to focus on so many things, and there will be so many distractions, but don't get this wrong. And what it is, is it's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, but then notice how Moses relates that to the family. You see here in verse 1, now this is the commandment the statute and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So this is it. This is really important. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So here are the commands of God. Here's what God wants me to say to you. And then look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and walk by the way and lie down and when you rise. And so what's interesting here, Brian, is that Moses says, this is what matters most. Love God with all your heart. And that's expressed in the context of family. So many things that you could focus on, like church and job and school, and yet those things are important, but, but the real aim here is family. It's loving God with all your heart and letting that ooze out and pour out in the context of family. Why? Because here's what God is saying through Moses to Israel. Your nation, your people, the people of God will rise and fall in direct relationship to how serious you take the family responsibility. Did you hear that? You're going to rise and fall based on how serious you take the responsibility of family life. And what is at the core of family life? It's not biology, it's theology. Now that scares some of you, I know. You're like, theology, no, no, no. But yeah, see, what, what, what God is instructing Israel is that I want the family to be the primary context where you learn about the things of God. Let me say that again. I want the family to be the primary context where you learn about the things of God. Not school. That can help. Not church, right? Where you hear really great sermons and hear wonder, what? Um, <laughs> wonderful music and great programs and, and all that. That's important. And there are many other passages that would talk about your being involved in body life, but that's not the primary context where I want you to learn about the things of God. It's home, family. That's, that's the aim. That's the target that I'm giving my people as you enter into the promised land. Now, the reason I mention some of these other things like school and all that is because we have a tendency to want to outsource family responsibilities to other areas. We do this all the time. I was, I was intrigued by an article I read one time in the New York Times that uh, said, uh, it talked about nighttime nannies, and this was kind of the headline. Follow along here. Baby crying at 2 a.m., no need to give up. Slogging through the endless nights with a newborn baby, all you need is a nighttime nanny. These newborn specialists will come in and watch your baby through the night so you can get some sleep. And you're like, Sounds awesome. 
One parent went on to write, said, quote, they will come in and swaddle your baby and sing to him. And that's the whole point for us because they have a lot more patience than my husband and I do. Another advocate wrote, said, suddenly you have a six pound bundle of chaos. That's one way of describing children. And an incredible amount of upheaval in the household and in swoops someone who can calm the baby and get them to sleep. I was even more shocked in another uh, New York Times article talked about the outsourced parent that you can hire people. Get this. You can hire people to come and do these things. Here's a, like a, an advertisement for different things you can hire people to come do. First of all, have your baby for $80,000. That you can hire somebody to come in and burp your baby. Really? For a salary of $166,000 a year. That's a big burp. Seriously. <laughs> you can hire somebody to come in and keep them away from Drano for about $1,200. You can hire somebody to come in for 17 years and raise your child. They'll pack your child's lunch. They'll read your time, your, your uh, child bedtime stories. They'll go to mommy and me classes for you. They'll even take your child to Disney World. They'll go to parent-teacher conferences for you. The cost is only one, $1.8 million over 17 years. We all chose the wrong profession, didn't we? You can hire somebody to come in to potty train your child. I like this one. You can hire somebody for $500 to come in and teach your child how to say no. <laughs> I don't need to pay somebody $500 for that. You can have somebody come in to teach them to say please or thank you. Or lastly, though there are others here for uh, just under $400, you can have somebody come in to teach them about the birds and the bees. We're going to leave that one alone right there. But what's the point? Man, we, we have grown to the point where the responsibilities that we have been given in family, we're looking for someone else to do. And Moses wants to remind the people of God, God has given you a very important target. And it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then to image that, teach that, model that in your family. That means moms, dads, that means grandparents, that means aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, that in the context of family, we are to be the fragrance of God, pointing people to God. Let me give you just an example of this uh, in the Bible of Deuteronomy 6 that we see in the New Testament on Mother's Day that I think is very appropriate. Look at the verse here on the screen from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, the Apostle Paul here is urging Timothy to continue on in the ministry and in the faith. And notice what Paul says, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it, and notice this, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So right here, Berean, Paul exhorts Timothy to continue on, to keep going, not on the basis of their ministry experience together, not on their basis of Timothy's seminary training, he exhorts Timothy on the basis of something that he learned when he was a child. Where did he learn that? Church? No. Go back to chapter 1 of the same book and look at verse 5. You'll see it on the screen. 
Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your what? Your grandmother, Lois, and your what? Mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Isn't that beautiful? The Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy to continue in his faith on the basis of an example of a grandmother and a mother. There will be no greater legacy of your life, moms, than that. I don't care how good you cook. I don't care how well you care for your children. If somebody can say, you saw that in your grandmother. You saw that in your uncle. You saw that in your mom. Now keep going. That's the greatest legacy you could ever leave. And that's Deuteronomy 6. Now some of you would say, listen, I'm a single mom. Some of you would say, you know, well, well my, my husband's not a believer. He's not active in this with me. Can I just encourage you this morning? Same story with Timothy. Look on the screen at Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named who? Timothy. So here's Timothy, and notice what is said about Timothy. The son of a Jewish mom who was a believer... But his father was a Greek, meaning Timothy's father was not a believer. So for all practical purposes, this spiritual command, Timothy's mom was doing all alone. And yet, she still left the kind of legacy that Paul could use to exhort Timothy in the faith. Charles Spurgeon said this of his mom, I love this, I cannot tell how much I owe the solemn words of my good mother. I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from their ignorance that they perish. And my soul will bear a swift witness against them on the day of judgment if they not lay hold of Christ. And then here's what Spurgeon says from that. The thought of my mother bearing Swift witness against me pierced my conscience. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck, praying, oh, that my son might live before thee. That's the mark. And you can aim your life at a lot of things only to wake up one day and realize you hit the wrong target. Deuteronomy 6 is saying, this is the commands that the Lord really wants you to know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then let that ooze out of you in your family. And that's, that's powerful, that's convicting. It doesn't stop there. It's not just the command, but he goes on to give content. Look at verse 4. We're back in Deuteronomy 6. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligent to, diligently to your children. There are three things out of there uh, that I think uh, Moses is instructing Israel to when it comes to what we want our families to know. Let me give you these three things quickly. You might jot them down. Number one is the reality of God, meaning God exists. Uh, do you believe that God is real? 
Let me ask you that again. Do you believe that God is real? That's a lot more encouraging to hear you say that. We believe that. I mean, we believe in God. We, we have faith in God, and we want people, particularly in our family, to know we believe in Him. You know, to steal the, the little movie that's out there, you know, that God's not dead. We worship Him. We, he's, he's real. He's alive. Know the Lord our God. And not only the reality of Him, but here's a really amazing thing, is that you can have a relationship with Him. The Lord our God. That's covenantal language in the Old Testament, meaning we have a relationship with Him. He's not just alive and real. You can know Him. And I want people in my family to know that you can have a relationship with God. And not only that, but we also want them to know that there's the redemption of God. We won't take the time to read all of this, but look later on in chapter 6, like in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, uh, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And you just keep reading there, and Moses basically is talking about the Exodus story. And so at the very basic level, we're saying I want my family to know that I believe in God. I want my family to know that you can have a relationship with God. And I want my family to know that God has an awesome redemptive story in my life and in their life as well, if they will believe. See, here, the temptation is to say this at this point, family members. I can't do this because I don't have a theology degree. I didn't go to seminary. You know, I don't know all the different things about the Bible to be able to instruct my children. Let me tell you what qualifies you because it's what qualified Israel to do this. Are you ready? Here's the qualification. Number one, you have to be a sinner. Okay, that qualifies everybody in the room, right? You have to be a sinner. And number two, you have to have experienced the grace of God. And I hope everybody in the room qualifies there. That's it. If you know your own sin and you've experienced the amazing grace of God, you have enough to be able to be so overwhelmed at who God is that it oozes out of you. You don't need to parse verbs in the Bible. All you have to do is love God with all your heart and to have experienced His grace. Let me give you just some practical ways to do this. I hope this will be helpful for you and your family life. What we're trying to do in this series is call us to God's design, but also give us some practical things to do as we live this out. Here's number one. Jot it down. Try as often as you can to go from the mundane to the majestic. Here's what I mean. The Bible says that the earth is filled with the glory of God. Do you believe that? Say amen. I mean, when you look around everywhere, you see God's hand. I mean, creation, uh, salvation, there's so many different things you see around you uh, that have to do with God. I jotted a few things down. Sunsets, um, thunderstorms, which we've had a lot of lately, driving by cemeteries, weird bugs, <laughs> baking bread, making money. See, all around you are are opportunities for you to go from the, the mundane of life to the glory of God. And this is a little bit morbid, but I've done this a lot with my son. As a pastor, I, I go to a decent amount of funerals, and sometimes I'll take my son to a funeral, and I'll talk to him about the fact that, you know what, one day we're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, everybody's going to die. And at that point, there's really only going to be one thing that matters, and that's that you know Jesus Christ. We just went from a funeral to eternity in 30 seconds. 
when you see things around you, just a, a pretty flower, uh, uh, just things that amaze you about God, take that in the context of your family to Him. That's all you got to do. Isn't that easy? Here's why it's hard. Because most of us live our life every day with our eyes shut. We don't share it because we don't see it. And what needs to happen is we need to open our eyes around our daily routine to the glory of God and then to take our children, take our spouses, take our grandchildren from there to God just like that. Notice also here there's an opportunity to jot down instructive discipline. Now, uh, this may be for those of you that have a context more where you're disciplined. My parents are here, and I'm thankful that uh, I didn't have uh, any discipline growing up. That's because it wasn't needed. <laughs> what? What are you laughing at? Now, I have an older brother. He needed lots of discipline and got it. I, on the other hand, received none. You know better than that. Here's the tendency, though, as, as parents when it comes to discipline, is we have a tendency to focus on cause, effect, consequence. It's all external. But that's not where the real issue is, is it? The issue is the heart. One of the things that we try to do when we fail at this, too, is that when our kids do something where they disobey, to go to the root problem, it's not that you did something wrong, it's that you have a heart that does not want to obey. And that's a really easy thing for me to relate to because then I can tell my son, and you know what, I do the same thing to my Heavenly Father. I mean, you disobeyed, and there are going to be consequences of that. Yes, we have to deal with this, but there's a deeper issue here. And we take it to the grace of God and our own disobedience. If you can't relate to your child or your grandchild's disobedience, you have forgotten the gospel. You have forgotten your own story as a child of God. And so that helps us that discipline becomes informative, not just an act of discipline. It's a, it's a way to, to invest in them God and the glory of God. Uh, in Shepherding a Child's Heart, it says, Discipline is not an opportunity to show our children who is boss or to hand out punishments that will change their behavior. Discipline is primarily an opportunity to remind our children of their need to repent and believe in Christ. Yes and amen. Another example, and I'll just be quick, your testimony. The things that God delivers you from, share that in your family. Current events, acts of terrorism, um, uh, fall, uh, the fall of leaders, um, uh, the downturn of economy. There are opportunities all around you to ooze God and the story of God in your everyday life. Look at uh, the consistency here that Moses calls them to, and then we'll begin to, to land the plane here. He tells them in verse 7 that you're to be diligent in this. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So maybe it could be at meals. It could be you're working in the yard together. Things that you're doing normal, active uh, duties around the home. When you walk by the way on the car ride, uh, sometimes I take my, my son to school, and there's a lot of things that we'll talk about along the way uh, and try to relate that to God. Uh, as you go about your normal activities, he says when you lie down, there are times when we've called the National Guard in to help put our kids to bed. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, that happens. Um, but bedtime, maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's a story, uh, maybe it's something. The importance of this 
here's the, here's the, the bullseye, if you will. It's about all throughout your day. Because if you're just doing a prayer at night, but not sprinkling it in throughout the day, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews are going to think, oh, it's compartmentalized. It's only at bedtime. Rather than they've got to see that God is about all of our life, so we talk about Him through all of our life. Do you see? God is about all of our day, so we try to talk about Him throughout our day. So I want to ask you, family members, whatever your family relationship will be, to be intentional about doing this uh, in your home and with your family. So this is the commitment that Moses wants them to make, and this is what I'm calling you to in verse 9, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up, is you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, what does that mean? The, the doorpost was there is as they went in and as they came out. They were constantly reminded that they had committed to what God had called them to do. I want you to find ways as a family to commit to doing this, to be intentional about this. And even through this series of family ties, to make the commitment that, listen, I don't want to wake up one day and hit the wrong target. And so as a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, I want to be intentional about doing this. Because let me ask you this question. I want you to listen to this because I think this is what it all hinges on. Now listen, what good would it do to raise a child in the finest home, the finest schools, with the finest education, in the greatest nation, for them to be able to get an excellent job and buy nice things, only to end up in a beautiful casket standing before a God they do not know and heard very little about? That's waking up one day and realizing you missed the target. You were aiming the whole time at the wrong thing. Now, I got good news for you. If, if you're feeling this morning like, I can't do this, if you're feeling like, man, Pastor, you, are, you, are, you don't even know how difficult this is, I know. I can relate to that. In fact, that's the whole point of the law. What were these things? These were commandments. And what does the law tend to do? Or what does the law do? It tends to point out how we fall short more than it does how we get it right. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's the whole point of the law, which is why if we stopped at Deuteronomy 6, we'd all be totally depressed as families and go home at Mother's Day and not even look at each other. But we know as Christians, we have something that ultimately fulfills the law and the commandments. That is Jesus. And that's why only when we are focused on the gospel can we do Deuteronomy 6. And here's what I mean. When we understand that God loves us as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take our sin. He was risen on the third day to give us new life. When we know that and we believe in that, here's, here's what the gospel does for us, that the commands of family will not. Number one, it gives us power. The only way we're going to do what I've just challenged you and I to do is through the power of Jesus. In fact, in Romans 1.16, it says the gospel is the power of God. And so if you think you're going to walk out these doors, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go be a good parent, you're setting yourself up for disaster. 
What I want to call you to is to do Deuteronomy 6, but how? By coming to the cross so frequently that you realize that there's a power you've been given that you don't have on your own. Here's the second way only the gospel will help you do Deuteronomy 6 is that it produces affections for God. When you come to the cross over and over again and you realize your sin, but how much God loves you even in your sin, does that do anything to you? It better like it, it, it ought to well up the heart to say, God is amazing and I'm overwhelmed by grace. Now you have something that can overflow in your family. The law will never do that. Going out, I'm going to be a good grandparent today in Jesus' name. It won't do that. But when you come to the cross and you're overwhelmed at the love of God, it produces the affections you need for God, which then could make a huge impact in your family. A third reason is, this is big. Oh, you got to hear this. I'm almost done. It provides the identity you need in family. Do you know what I know is happening as I talk about family? Guilt trip. Because I know there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it's a grandparent, it's a parent, it's an uncle, because you've got family guilt. But if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, listen, your identity is not your family. Your identity is Jesus. I don't care how good your kids turn out. I don't care how well your grandparents, your grandkids turn out. Your identity is seated at the right hand of God, not at your dinner table. And only when you rest in that identity that the gospel gives you can you do Deuteronomy 6 in a way that doesn't get you too attached or detached to your family. You see? So now all of a sudden I can love my kids and I can point them to God, but I'm not basing my identity in how they turn out. And that will set you free. I'm telling you that will set you free. And some of you need to rest in that this morning. Because I know, I know there are grandparents in this room. You look at where your family's at and you think, what did I do wrong? I'm just going to tell you, anything that you ever did do wrong was nailed to the cross of Calvary, and you are free. So go love your family out of the love you have for God with the freedom of the gospel. And lastly is it protects against moralism. Because the last thing I want to do is just take law and go implement it in my family. Let me tell you this, and then I'll wrap it up, because i got to wrap it up. <laughs> I mean, I want to, but i got to wrap it up. What scares me to death, my little boy sitting over there, my girls are somewhere in this building, what scares me to death is that they're going to go through church all their life. They're going to learn the churchy things. They're going to know all their Awana verses. They're going to get married and bring their families to church. And they're going to do all the churchy things only to spend eternity separated from God. Because at the end of the day, this thing of family isn't about external conformity. It's about heart change. And that's exactly why from Deuteronomy, do you know what comes later? It's the book of Ezekiel. And do you know what God says through the prophet Ezekiel to the people of Israel? Listen, the day is going to come when I'm going to give you a new heart. Because this law thing is instructive, but it's not enough. And this morning, what some of you need is not a parenting class. What some of you need is a Savior. And in a Savior, in submitting to the Lordship of Christ in your life, then you'll be free to be the kind of family member God has called you to be. And only until then. So Berea and I ask you, what you aiming at? Because you can have a lot of focus in your life. 
And you can aim with every bit of intensity in your life. But I pray to God, you don't wake up one day realizing you hit the wrong target. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would um, stir in us affections for you. I pray that you would stir in us maybe a repentant heart towards you where we've been aiming at the wrong thing. God, I pray in this room for those who have fallen under the guilt of the evil one that the gospel would set them free. I pray that there would be moms and dads and grandparents and all types of family relationships in this room that would rest their identity in you and that in that they would be then free to not only love you with all their heart, but then to model that and to have that fragrance of their love for you be in their home and be in their family. So God, as we, as we sing and as we think about what this looks like in our life, would your spirit work and move in Jesus' name. Amen.